each Sunday night. I'd watch the practice with none of my friends. I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald defends. But I'm out of practice. With your hosts, Keith Barney and... Batman villain with a different angle, Mike and Deglio. Way back in Ooh. high school, most every night, my mom watched QVC, so I missed the practice. There was no TiVo, what could I do? Wait 15 years, get fat, then stream it on Hulu. I uh, almost used my checkbook as a drum set on camera. Enjoy my routing numbers, folks. Yes, spend your entire day hacking to nothing. It's true. It'd be very disappointing. And welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast, a weekly podcast in which uh, me and my buddy Mike discuss David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The practice this week we are up to season eight episode nine victims rights uh i would also like to point out that uh first off today's tax day so if you have not gotten your taxes done uh get them get them done uh i i finished them up yesterday which is why i have my checkbook out for all of the uh routing numbers and this that the other thing uh and i just realized that the check I have in my hand here is check number 666. So let that be an omen for us all. How's it going, Mike? Uh, yeah, I had forgotten it was tax day because I did mine uh, last weekend. And then I started rehearsals, as I may have mentioned, for this play I'm doing with my wife. And my brain is just decimated because I haven't How memorized. How are rehearsals going? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I we did this uh, and I was like, well, I've done this show before. So... I it I'll know the material. It shouldn't be too heavy a lift. I can do my day job and that at the same time. I can do it. It took all of one rehearsal for me to realize: a, you don't really remember the shows you've done in the past. You think you do, but you don't. No, and you that don't. memorizing even a light entertainment as this is, it's not. It's not like this is Sondheim or something. It it, it is very difficult. And uh, in 2018, for our musical theater buffs out there. <laughs> They did a, a a pretty a pretty hefty refresh of this show, um, and we're doing the quote unquote new version now. Keith, two but two things that I think would be interesting as kind of the climate of the arts and universe. Number one, mm-hmm. the this I think you'll find most fascinating. The, the majority of the rewrite is just lyrical changes, and some right. I think are superior, and some I think are not superior. But I think what they probably did over the twenty plus years the show had been running was what things had gotten laughs and just kind of doubled down on those sorts of jokes. Like cursing, they decided, oh, cursing gets a laugh, so they added a lot more F-words and stuff. Fair enough. But when you've already memorized a show mm-hmm. and now the lyrics are different, it's 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 a brain tease of the epic worst. proportions. Really, really no. messed up. On top of that... So what, so what you're saying is, I love you, you're perfect, it changed? Yeah, little things, like absolutely, like yeah. that, or a song... Like, called, like Tear Jerk, which is well known in the canon of, of songs, guys, do patter songs. When you change the lyrics, it's it's really difficult to undo some of the 
stuff. That's number one. Number two, thinking I could do my day job on top of this, it, I've just not slept in, it's, it's a lot. Also, very interesting, and, and I'm trying, I don't want to editorialize this at all, which is difficult for me. Difficult for us, as you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure of where this is going, but I'm excited uh, to see you Well, fail. we're doing uh, the show. The, t- the two other cast members are, are, are like solidly millennials, are much younger. And, ah. have a, and so we've discovered a few times between them and our directors and, and people who have their pulse on their audience, we've made some adjustments to the, to the script and score thematically change some words and lines and pe- things that make people uncomfortable, which I would have been never batted an eye at because I am, I just Old. go by what's in there. Now, well, yes, that and also, like, I don't, I guess I'm not as, I don't want to use the word woke because it has this negative connotation, but, like, I'm not as uh, in tune to what might upset people from my perch of privilege. Anyway, so add those changes to the other changes and it's, it's, it's been challenging. Well, it's probably, you know, I think there's an element of that, but I think there's also an element of uh, we were raised and taught you just say what's in front of you. Like, yeah, yeah. you're not you're not, you're not there to rewrite anything. You're not there to change anything. The the words are the words are the words. And and if if there if there's a problem with it, that's the writer's problem. <laughs> that's not that's yeah. it's not your it's not your issue. Um but and, uh, that all aside, it's it's fun to kind of be rehearsing a play again, and it's 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 kind of back to the roots you and I were just talking about coming out of college. You know, the the time I've done this, this did this play before was at a very like a big playhouse with a big budget. We did the whole thing with the sets and lights and the costumes, and the I got to do it the the expensive way. And <laughs> yes, this is I don't want to say the good the best way. Like it's you know neither here nor there. This production is very small. Coming out of the pandemic, there's no money, so it's very black box. Mm-hmm. There's a couple rolling chairs and a table and some, you know, some pens, <laughs> like make a scene. So it's it's <laughs> it's got that element of DIY, which is both scary and uh, a, a good challenge. Like, how am I gonna, as an actor, I, I'm used to having the sets and the costumes and the lights do a lot of the heavy lifting. We don't have that, so how am I gonna make this funny? And that's scary, but kind of also I'm remembering very fun. So it's 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 cool. It's going well. It's the first week, so I feel like this is never going to happen, but it'll happen. Oh well, it, always. I mean, if if you've ever done a show before, uh, it it feels right up until the point where it does happen, like it is literally impossible. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to be in that first production that didn't happen. I'm going to have to do an Adele. Happen. And like I'm canceling the Las Vegas residency. Yeah, it, and and I don't know how many times you you get into tech, right? And you an opening night happens when you've never even successfully run a show. Mm-hmm. We could like, be there. That could be this. But let alone knows? with all of the elements. I mean, you, you don't even have any tech. But like, it's terrifying. And yet somehow the magic of theater it happens. I mean, uh, you know, when I did my show at Nymph. We were only able to tech through about the first sixty percent of the show, and then just like fuck it, there's an audience, let's go, and it went fine. It's, it 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 makes no sense, but it always somehow comes together. Well, I'm excited. When when does the show open? So theoretically, open on May third, and we've already had to cancel a week of performances because of ticket sales and 
mandates and things. So we're going to close, I think, on June 5th. So we get a solid four weeks of run. So it's it's, it's like a it's legit. Um, I'm excited. I, I am nervous because, you know, that we're testing all the time, but life is happening and people are and there's only four people. There's no understudy. So if someone was to, by yeah. no fault of their own, get sick, I think that's kind of it. So it's a yeah, the whole thing feels very dice rolly. Well, so we'll, we'll see. It, you know, we're we're living in April of 2022. If you're watching the, or listening to this uh, later. Uh, where we've sort of gone into the like, eh, fuck it, let's just do our lives part of the pandemic. But I was talking to um, a producer friend of mine who has, you know, two shows running on Broadway that were shut down for two weeks because of COVID at the same time. And we were just like, oh, well, that sucks. Well, it's good, you know, get the whole cast COVID now, so you'll be good for about three months. And and it's just like, oh, I've had it three times. I've had it two times. I've had it whatever it's it's weird to be as blasé about it as we are while it's still directly affecting stuff and uh, anyway it's interesting it's it, i i think from at every in every part of the world at every level this is still like who knows there's an element of i don't know what the hell's going to happen so uh speaking of things that we don't know what's going to happen uh I think it is time for us to hop into our favorite segment. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Keith, before you begin, yes. I want to I want to briefly mention uh, 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 an exchange that I had offline with a, a listener of the show who was uh, mentioning that we I'd been talking about doing this play. And was like, you know, I I have the acting bug, but you know, I'm, I I don't really know how to, as an adult, sort of get involved, you mm-hmm. know, non professionally. And not everybody just wants to like do community, find a community theater near them, and meet a whole bunch of new people, which is one avenue. But I what I had mentioned, and I and I put this out there, you don't have to be an actor, or you don't have to like love this stuff, per se. But if you just sort of want to get involved, you can always. There are always improv classes, which I highly recommend to everybody. It's like a, a an interesting way to just like explore your creativity, put yourself out on a limb, get some excitement, meet some people, or take an acting class. Oh, you're not an improv guy? Oh no, I don't. I, I everything you're about to everything you're about to suggest, I hate with a fiery passion. But no. many people might enjoy. Yeah, well, I mean, or find yourself <laughs> a class or somewhat. I mean, like, if you, you don't have to jump into being, like, a professional actor or pursue a career to explore the arts or explore this, just, like, play acting or get involved in community theater. That's really fun. I mean, maybe now's well, not the greatest time, but maybe it is. Who knows? Yeah, I, 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 I firmly plant my flag in community theater. Uh, and I, I think that that is... Um, something that I did starting when I was 11 years old, I still have relationships with people that I, uh, met doing community theater. I still have relationships with the community theaters that I did stuff with back in the nineties. And, uh, it's an extraordinary thing to do full of extraordinary people who care deeply about what they're doing, but also understand that this is for fun and Mm -hmm. this is for you know, we're going to put on the very best show that we we can, but you don't have sort of the pressures of whatever. And uh, I don't know. I, I think the the what's great about community theater is that you really get both elements. You get the theater part, but more importantly, you get the community part. 
and I highly recommend go uh, go play a tree in the background of the community theater production of Oklahoma or be the star. Have a blast. I've never had more fun at performing than I did it. as a community theater person. So there it is. So uh, anyway, moving uh, moving forward, we have uh, I think do we have do we have the button? Do I know where the button is? Uh, Mike, we're gonna need you to do the objection bumper once again. Objection. Objection. There will be an objection. Wow, well done. So uh, we have a <laughs> what appears to be a four minute and fifty four long, uh, fifty four seconds long message from our good friend Phoenix Cage. Uh. Let's not only see does what he, he has to say. He may object, but he at least follows the format of the show, which is too long. Everybody grab a sandwich. Let's settle in and see what Phoenix has to say. Keith, did you understand what my objection was about last week? Probably not. Because you read it so fast that I couldn't even follow it. Ah, maybe I you were incoherent. By being brief, you wouldn't feel the need to rush. Wow. I guess now I know better. So I'm here to This escalated quickly. This really did. As I want. Oh, the shade. I quoted a couple of lines of dialogue. It's our fault. We play it in its entirety every time. Then your response was... Yeah, except for... You got clips! I wasn't talking about uh, that part of the dialogue. I was talking about the previous sexual partners. I was really confused by this. What do you mean you weren't? talking about that part of the dialogue that's what the whole scene was about the opening line was da webb saying her sexual past is off limits right after that keith said they say her sexual history is something you can talk about if you bring it up ahead of time but that's not true jimmy could not have brought up her sexual history if he had mentioned it earlier first because the definition of the rape show law which is that the defendant can't introduce the accuser's sexual history as evidence during a rape trial. And second, let's just go back to what the dialogue actually said. Kittleson, in that scene, said there is no impeachment exclusion of the rape shield law. Even if there were, you have a slew of problems. First, Mr. Webb states the law correctly about the four-prong test. Second, victim's testimony has to be confused or inconsistent in order to bring up sexual history. She said hers wasn't. And third, yes, third was when she said he was late raising it. But if he had, it wouldn't negate the first two points. So as Mike said right before you corrected him, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I will, however, say that confusion about this point is completely understandable because after that, we get the the mixed message by other characters, including Jimmy himself, who played it like it was all his fault. And so he was going to file an appeal based on inadequate counsel. But none of that matched up to what all of the legal dialogue had already stated. It's as if the writers wanted to be accurate about the law, but then ignore it to create some character drama. You ended your rebuttal by saying that if he had brought it up earlier, they could have overlooked the other points and backdoored a way in, which was when Mike should have joined in his own defense by asking how. 
but instead he made a crass joke because you said the word backdoor. <laughs> <laughs> Even after eight seasons, some things never change. Nailed it. That is okay. so true. So let's think about this. <laughs> if you were right, I believe Kittleson would have ended that scene by saying, sorry, Jimmy, you dropped the ball there. Or the bottom line is you can't raise the issue this late in the trial. Instead, what she said was, you can write your congressman if you don't like the law, referring to the rape shield law. In here, we simply follow it. Hopefully that clears up my last objection, but while I'm here, I do have a comment on last week's episode. All right. Well, before we do that, let let us address this. So, uh, first off, uh, the, the second prong is uh, confusion and incoherence. Uh, or inconsistency, and I think we have that nailed. Yes. Uh, uh, for sure. Uh, second off, zing. To uh, to answer the question of how I would have backdoored this, Mike, Jimmy, uh, is I understand that you can't bring it up directly. You can't introduce the evidence before. But if he knew... If Jimmy, you know, and again, now we're like three episodes ago, so you, you can spare the objection where I get some of the details wrong uh, for next week, Phoenix. Uh, but I think that if we knew that she had made previous accusations to the father before, you, instead of bringing, bringing that up out of nowhere, and instead of asking her about it, you, you call the father mm. up. And you ask the father, hey, you know, has she ever spoken to you about something like this before? Right. Has she, you know, has she ever, has she had traumatic incidents? Has she told you about this, that, the other thing? I feel like there, there was a way to get in there, uh, to get that information in there through the father, as opposed to introducing it yourself as evidence. Because once he opens the door, then you can all rush through. That would be my solution. So, let us hear what Phoenix says about last week. In the scene where the defense attorney asked the witness why she wasn't suing the doctor who prescribed the drug, suspected of causing her husband's suicide, Keith said, it's because the manufacturer is the one responsible for knowing the side effects, not the doctor. And yes, that's exactly what I said when I first saw it. In fact, as we learn later in the episode, the manufacturer was covering up the fact that it could cause dangerous behavior, which is not something a prescribing doctor would ever have known. Yeah. So, Keith, uh, apparently you and I do occasionally agree and sometimes have exactly the same reaction. A stopped so clock is right about. twice but a day. Before I go, I did watch the DS9 pilot. Uh, I'm looking forward to more, but I noticed it is a different format. It is. Mike is seeing it for the first time, but not during the show. Yeah, it was weird listening to you guys talk for an hour straight with no show or bumpers to interrupt. But now I have a couple of questions. I'm sure I'm sure that you could interrupt, Phoenix. <laughs> and I'm sure that we will develop more bumpers and uh in interruptions as we go along. But yes, it is a the it is a different format because um <laughs> mainly we we feel like more people are paying attention so we can't play the audio <laughs> without getting youtube strikes uh and i think there is some 
especially when you're dealing with something as dense as sci-fi, it's good to have Mike's have a general awareness, at least of the episode. So he's not blazingly confused. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of fun in kind of my real time take on this show. Uh, but it does often obfuscate my ability to like, critically think and analyze and provide like an actual coherent thought. Sometimes I'm caught in either a joke or uh, just mumble words because I haven't really put it all together. And, and, uh, I'm enjoying being a little bit more, I don't want to say smart, I'll say uh, prepared <laughs> for the conversation. Now, as, he, as I think, you know, we would both, I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about another show, but uh, we, uh, we're, we're going to develop a, you know, a, a better flow of our conversation, but I, it's already improving a couple episodes in. So, but thanks for watching the, the pilot. Thanks for sticking along with the channel, by the way. And this is a perfect opportunity to point out that, hey, Phoenix, you can still watch Mike watch the show in real time mm -hmm. uh, by joining our Patreon. Mike, how, how, uh, how, how would one do that? Yes, and for those who are listening to this podcast and are fans of this podcast, you can still look at Keith and I's face as we talk about the episode in a much more pared down uh we don't think anybody's watching. <laughs> way. In, in, in a non-showered, uh, I haven't, I haven't uh, uh, even combed my hair. With the episode actually playing along, you can watch it in real time, real time on the uh, by joy being a patron, patron. I haven't figured that out yet. Patron, patron. yeah. At anyway, Patreon.com/slash K and M Keith and Mike, but it's K and M with and spelled out. There you go. A N D. All right, Phoenix, you got ten more seconds. Is it going to only be on YouTube, or will it also be a podcast? And since you're doing that now, are you still planning on covering Boston Legal? Okay, two questions there. Uh, he got a lot done in that last 10 seconds. Uh, in terms of are we going to release the audio on the feed, I don't know. Mike, what do you think? I don't... It's not an ex... It's not like a difficult um, added thing. Uh, I had thought about, we didn't really have a, con well, we're having it in real time now. Talked about we releasing the audio weekly. I also thought about just kind of releasing it in seasons. Um, just like mm. in a big dump at the end. There's uh, probably would be a, a good, actually ser it, it serves the audio format probably better, but I just hadn't really thought well, about it. Well, it. I mean, the, I think there's some, there's some added benefit to the video version because you were able to see the screenshots with us and, and all the other nonsense. But I do think it would work well as audio only. Um, you know, it obviously it, we start to cannibalize our, our YouTube viewership, but it might be good advertisement for it. I don't know. I, I, I think there's some, I think there's, you know, what we could do, we could AB test it and yeah. uh, put out the first season and see what it does. Or, or or release it. You know what? Why don't we release the audio as a podcast after episode five has aired and see what it and see what it does? Because I also understand that like sitting in front of the the YouTube screen, you know, forces you to sit there. I I I'm always out walking or driving or whatever when I listen yeah, to my podcast. That's true. So I think there's some value there. Uh, all good questions. Uh, and uh, and Boston Legal, I don't know yet. We haven't, written, we haven't written it off. I, I'm a little. I have a fatigue right now setting in because I haven't quite enjoyed this season as much. Uh, so, but I do remember loving Boston Legal, and my mom 
it, it gives me such joy in my heart because it's I just have memories of my mom just in loving that show so much. I didn't watch it with her, but watching her love it, it I don't it's, it's just like such a fun memory. So, you know, maybe we work that into the Patreon universe. I don't know. There's it's we have to see how that takes off. But um that's not that's not a no. There's so many things I want to watch. We got to get our subs up on YouTube so that we can like make it worth our while just as far as time yeah. but hey look as, as soon as we can both quit our jobs and only do this uh <laughs> god yeah that's uh but, Keith, I, but, yeah, I have I some mean, <laughs> i have some, I have some, bad, some news bad news <laughs> in this envelope here <laughs> uh uh mike you don't know how little i make <laughs> dude i <laughs> replacing wanted... replacing my job is very cheap <laughs> okay well if the bar's that low then i don't know after taxes <laughs> i might need another job so we'll see all right well gosh we let us move forward because uh thank you phoenix uh yes as always hey phoenix by the way man as we're in season eight we tease we conjole we're but we're a happy family here and we uh we appreciate your support and your engagement this whole time it really so. it really means a lot very yeah very much so uh so if uh phoenix or anybody else would like to contact us uh mike how would they do that a lot of ways folks out of practice podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on the Instagram at Out of Practice Podcast, which, uh, you know, you can comment there. We'll get there eventually. Uh, you can also talk to us directly through direct message on Patreon. You can That's become right. a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash KNM. And though a lot of the higher tiers is where you can like watch the content with us, by no means must you jump in at that level. You can jump in at the smallest level. We'll give you access to our mailbag and to our direct messages. So uh, check that out as well if you're so inclined. Okay. Well, I'm inclined to uh, move us forward because we've been going for 25 minutes and we haven't even talked about uh, this day in the basement, which, uh, of course, was November 30th, the year 2003. Mike, what were you doing? This day in the basement. Once again, Keith. I don't really remember until you talk about it, so why don't you go first? Okay, well, uh, first off, it was Thanksgiving 2003. Uh, I went up to uh, Vermont to see my folks, and the uh, the hero of Thanksgiving 2003 was the potato cannon. So uh, we, I think it was Sean, uh, my older brother, who built a uh, a potato gun out of uh, PVC? PVC pipe. Yeah. Yep, and a pretty big one. And so we call it the potato cannon. And uh, we had the entire family, including my grandparents and uh, uncles and aunts, shooting potatoes uh, across our field um, at our house. L luckily, we're, we're in no range of hitting anybody. Uh, but that thing launched those potatoes hundreds of feet like a football field long and it was super super fun lots of good pictures and videos from that with very skinny keith but here's the here's the thing i'm excited about so uh we're about to start rehearsals for mm -hmm. the titanic mm -hmm. tour which of course is the titanic meeting of mike and i and uh so this week guess what we what do you typically have to do when rehearsals are starting that they're hounding you for? Oh, uh, your bio, baby. Email. Your bio. Get me your bio, but don't make it long. Basically, I want your name and like a fact. Well, here's the uh, the good news for me then. 
I had nothing to put in my bio because this was my first professional gig. Uh, so I have my bio here, my first professional bio. Get ready for uh, some community theater and high school Ooh, credits. Okay. <laughs> Keith Varney is a native Vermonter and proud of it. He has been performing since his sixth grade portrayal of Wilbur the Pig in Charlotte's Web, a performance he is immensely proud of. Favorite roles include Archie in Secret Garden, number four in Transformations, and Captain Walker in Tommy. He has a degree in voice from the Eastman School of Music. That was my entire hey, bio. You end with Eastman, though. It's a humble brag. It's great. It's, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, so there it is. I, it's, uh, <laughs> it's changed a bit then. Uh, we'll have to find Mike's bio maybe next week. So do you remember anything about this week now, Mike? I do. In fact, the Thanksgiving thing reminded me, because right after Thanksgiving here, so, you know, I had left New York City to uh, come and stay with my mom and do Forever Plaid forever, and then I was crashing in my mom's basement before rehearsals were to start. Now, during this whole period, now I had had a uh, apartment, much like you had had, Keith, like a, like a flop pad, out in <laughs> out in Harlem, that my with my buddy Jason and my uh, lady friend Kaylin at the time, and she we had broken up. Kaylin and I had broken up, so she uh, was no longer living there. And Jason and I had sublet my space to somebody, and then like handed off Jason the reins to sublet as necessary because I had, never thought I was going back. And we had to ride out our lease. And he had mostly been staying with his boyfriend at the time in the city, so like no one we knew was living in that apartment. Much like happens. Uh, but I had to then go back and sublet my room from a sublet on an apartment whose lease's name I was on. For the, <laughs> right, that's that, that sounds very twenty. Until the years tour old. started, and then at the middle of the tour, our lease was up, and thank God I got out of that quagmire. Could have gotten bad, but uh, I remember having to like work out a sublet situation with somebody that I had was subletting to. Yeah, and, and you know what's weird, especially considering how unbelievably small amount of money we made on this tour. I did not sublet mm. uh, during that tour because I just didn't like. I I found the whole thing too stressful, and I didn't want people touching my shit. So, uh, well, well, no, no different now. Not to get lost in it, but a few weeks back, I had recommended this Netflix series called. Worst roommate ever, and there's one of those episodes that actually talks about the horrors, specifically in New York City and Philadelphia. In fact, I think it's nationwide. I'm sure about just how of a bad situation you can get into because of squatters' rights. The second someone oh. pays rent and receives a piece of mail at your apartment, doesn't matter if your name's on the lease, their name's at the lease. They never paid you a cent. They decided to not pay. Well, it doesn't matter. They have all these protections that supersede what you can do to get them out. So if somebody really wants to screw you and sublet from you and not pay you rent and then just kind of never leave, that is fully legal and possible. And so I was like, thank God I'm married because I'm never going to sublet again. Yeah, well, speaking of somebody who's had you as a subletter who yeah. only occasionally paid rent and would never leave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I, I get one piece of mail and that's it. I think this podcast is you exercising your squatter's rights <laughs> in my life. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, 
Oh, our twenties, man. It's God time bless. for the out of God practice bless. podcasts. This day in the world, the greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from twenty years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. Okay, once again, we are talking about Just November thirtieth, like the year two thousand and three. Obviously, you're hearing uh, the sweet tunes of Stand Up by Ludacris featuring Shauna. Who, who is this? This is great. Who is, who is this? Uh, this is Richard Cheese, which is the musical persona of Nicholas P. Check him out on YouTube at Nicholas P. Only 400 and some subscribers, and he clearly makes lounge. This is a, a cover CD he made called Lounge Against the Machine, which is pretty funny. I I love it. And uh, for the Deep Space Nine fans listening, Mike doesn't even know why this is appropriate. All right, so the cover of the Burlington Free Press talked about power upgrade rekindles nuclear energy controversy. Uh, as they, uh, I think Green Mountain Power has a, uh, has a nuclear plant, or it might be just from, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. We were taking, uh, we were dealing with uh, nuclear energy. It's, uh, it's a thing. So the top movie continued to be Cat in the Hat. I'll, uh, which, I'll, I'll spare you the Jim Carrey antics. Which uh, you have now two weeks in a row ascribed to Jim Carrey, but it was not Jim Carrey. Did you did you know who 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 would it be if not Jim Carrey? My mind is blown that the Cat in the Hat was. Oh, I'm thinking the Grinch. You are thinking the Grinch. Oh crap! I have no idea. Give me a hint. Uh. Halloween. Right. Follow it through. Uh. Mike Myers. Mike Myers. Oh, I've got to revisit this. I think. You Do have... I know? No. <laughs> Revisiting things of dubious quality is what we <laughs> do, true. including... It's time, it's, time, time. it's time for sports balls. The Buffalo football Bills beat up on the New York football Giants 24-7 at Giants Stadium. Amani Toomer caught a 77-yard touchdown, but it wasn't enough to prevent the eighth loss of the season. Drew Bledsoe tossed two touchdowns for the Bills. Meanwhile, the Eagles improved to 9-3 with a win over Jake DeLome and the Carolina Panthers. You know, Keith, maybe as a Patreon exclusive, one of our monthly shows is we have to, like, pick a random thing of dubious quality revisit. Like, could be TV, film, whatever. And just, like, we alternate who picks it. That could be fun. How about, how about the pilot of this show? Oh, crap. That's a good starter, actually. That's a really fun starter. <laughs> no, my goodness. That would be terrible. Uh, the Out of Practice Practice podcast, where we just re go back and review our own show. That we, I can't believe we're all so close. We almost did this thing. The Out Out of of Practice Practice podcast podcast. We're releasing all eight seasons on a DVD box set, just so everyone knows. <laughs> Standard definition. Yeah. Okay, folks, mercifully, we are ready to talk about The Practice Season 8, Episode 9, Victims' Rights, which anyone listening to this, I believe, could claim. This episode was written by David E. Kelly and Peter Blake, who last wrote on 
Goodbye, and directed by uh, veteran The Practice director Jeannot Soir, which leaves us with only one question. I hope the bumper doesn't play again. Is this what happens to women when you insert your penis? What? What? What does Mike think's gonna happen? You know, Keith? What if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? As it's season eight and we're wrapping up this podcast, I want to just continue to... uh, Revisit some of my favorite things. And I do want to say, I listen to a lot of podcasts, as I'm sure you do too. I'm sure everyone listening does. And listen, I, I first let me, I am fully aware, no one listens to our podcast. We have very low viewership, though we love each and every one of you. So we're, we're not one of the, we're not blazing. So I'm never criticizing any other show. No, I am not criticizing. I'm simply pointing out that every time a new show launches a Patreon or, or has a new season or whatever, they always make a huge deal about when they like pay a Fiverr person or pay a content creator to like build them a new theme song or like they release their new theme song for the new season. It's always a big deal and really cool. I just want to like self pat on the back, Keith. Over eight seasons, we've created a ton of original music on this show. We never outsourced it. We never, we never got just now, granted, have I used my fair share of uh, free content from the internet behind various things? Yes. But just want to say, I always appreciate. The little stupid music jingles we make, especially your theme songs for all of our shows, really high quality, really funny. It's. I just want to point it out. I wanted to. I wanted to give a. We we always are self deprecating. I wanted to take an opportunity to like humble brag. That that is a a a very oddly timed, but nice nice little humble brag there. Yeah yeah yeah. Well you know I I think maybe because we're 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 considering something for the finale of Oops. Mm-hmm. That might be appropriate for that. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we've done this whole thing, and people don't even know where we're headed. We've thrown some potential things out there, but no one knows really how we're going to shut what it all down. What the finale is going to be, and frankly, neither do we. Yeah, we've only flirted with some ideas, which are an insane amount of work for you. Um, and me eventually, but not yet. Uh, okay, so speaking of... speaking What's of going to happen, Mike? Speaking of a whole lot of work, this season's been tough for me, Keith. Um, not just because I've senioritis, but because... At least in past seasons, there's been some thematic consistencies, some genre consistencies. This season's been all over the place, uh, not just like tonally. We've had some sheer comedy. We've had some really deep, dark stuff. We've had a weird thing with the victim's sister, which never really... Is that done? Are we still going with that? Where'd that go? It, it got grape jellied. Uh... And so, and then we've got just sheer characters. Like Alan Shore is an enigma wrapped inside of a puzzle box, wrapped inside of a Saw sequel, right? Uh, so, I just said the word enigma, and it brought me to Saw. So the Saw sequel. Uh, <laughs> now that would be interesting. <laughs> so I want to get back to bases here. I'm going to say that we're going to double down on the Alan Shore. Uh, he's going to get a case, victims, right, of someone who's been really uh, wronged. So I'm going to say wrongly accused. Uh, somebody like a wife has been wrongly accused of a murder of her husband, and Alan Shore is going to uh, break all sorts of laws to discover her innocence. 
uh, whilst also sleeping with her. A double doozy. All right. Mm. And then in the B case, we're going to get a Jimmy Eugene tag team because they're on the show. Mm. And that case is going to be about something ridiculous. Uh, so I'm going to say animals. <laughs> You're just saying random words now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this is just, segment is just Mad Libs now. No, I no, but I'm excited for the the Saw sequel. Wait, Keith. Eugene Young, you have been a respected lawyer for the last seven seasons. I have. But I, every time you plan B, the victims, you accuse them of murder. Keith, since it's the last season, can I out of just speak? Since you love improv so much, can I pitch a new? Uh, what does Mike think's gonna happen? Uh, <laughs> you want to just try again? No, I have a. Can I pitch a new format? For the remainder of the season. Okay. When you're doing the breakdown, okay, so it's not adding really any extra work for you. Could you please grab the IMDB summary of the episode and take out okay. three verbs or nouns and and literally ad lib me? Like, oh. ask me for like a noun or a, a proper noun and just read the IMDB description with my ad libs in. With I think Mad that would lips. be could be fun to change it up for the rest of the season. Okay, well, I think the hardest part of that is remembering that you asked for me to do that and you remembering that you did that. So next week, get ready for the regular segment because we forgot. This, <laughs> I think it was probably a funny idea. <laughs> All right, well, now it's time. Let, what do you say we watch the episode, Mike? Yeah, that feels like the longest no of all <laughs> No, no, I'm on board. Okay, okay. Uh, anyway, folks, so... Uh, here we are. We're jumping into what I like to call the practice. Season eight, episode nine, Victims' Rights. Excuse me. I'm sorry to bother you. Are you a lawyer? I am. My name is Anna Viorca, and I need a lawyer. I see. Do you have any money? Um, some $12. I see. You know, $12 barely covers the time it would take me to say I can't help you. And since I've already said it, give me the 12 bucks. I'm from Romania. That's a nice country. Beautiful castles. I don't want to go back. Can you please help me? Anna, what are you doing? I'm not going back, Dad. What do you mean you're not? I'm not going. Can you please help me? Anna, what's going on here? If I go back to Romania, they'll force me to get married. Anna, let's go. One second, sir. What do you mean they're going to force you to get married? They will, like they did with my sister. This is a family matter. Let go of me. Mr. Viorca, your daughter is represented by counsel. Sir? Damn. I'm sure you don't need to make trouble. Let's what would introduce I do? the You're a foreigner. Take your Father! Okay, so uh, this little girl is played by Becca Gardner, uh, who has now is now a producer, actually. But she was in a uh, a feature film called Un An Unfinished Life with none other than Cameron Mannheim. Huh. And the father is played by Yasin Payanikov from Madam Secretary, U.S. Marshals, and Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, he is. 
hand off the girl or I'll get you declared a person of interest, which means you'll be locked up forever without so much as a trial. Don't think I kid you. This is the United States of America. I'm about to call for the police. Excuse me, I hate to interrupt, but this one's urgent, Your Honor. Alan Shore representing... Is it Anya? Anna Viorca. Anna Viorca, petition for political asylum. Res ipsa doozy. Okay, well, we certainly have high stakes. I so, dig it, man. Uh, I'm, I'm fully invested because I feel like uh, I like Alan when he's helping and when his empathy comes through. And clearly, it's visible there. Already a pretty good performance from that girl. I can sense that fear. And I think that we have, with the exception of the one Rebecca case some seasons ago, we haven't completely dealt with, like, immigration type in fact that wasn't immigration that was a uh, uh, being held without where's the girl now yes it's a, science. Yeah, right. it's a tone okay. thing we haven't really or a political thing we haven't really dealt with stumbled across the girl and her father and i like Jamie, using you alan's political asylum research like for me i need way. it quickly and also dig up whatever you can on the roma faith roma r-o-m-a yes i'm glad Jimmy, it didn't looking just well Call him meaning what? And be done with it, you know. Yeah. He's always meaning something with his little comments. Enough with the comments. Are you ever walking, Lawrence Gilbert? He's in your office. He seems in need. Nine months ago, my wife was murdered. I'm sorry. She had been stalked, and the police were unable to deter him. And eventually, she was stabbed in our home. I've just come from the district attorney's office. The trial is set to begin tomorrow. And I've just been informed by the district attorney that she intends to offer 15 years. I'm here wondering whether, as the husband of the victim, I have any rights to enjoin this. Actually, you don't. Clearly, if you were to pursue the defendant civilly, you'd have rights, but in a criminal proceeding... What about... Could we get it removed to a federal court? I know the federal government sometimes claims jurisdiction for murder cases so they can impose the death penalty, which this man deserves. Again, you would have no standing to try to influence a criminal prosecution. Do you think you could speak to this district attorney? This is what he did to her. Before you we can't look at those, do that let's to somebody introduce... and only get 15 years. Guy advocated for his life. That's not funny. <laughs> yeah, it's you know you want to be respectful here, but in my notes here because like I'm I'm writing them quickly and I just want to make sure that I am cl clear on what stuff. He's just listed as dead wife guy in mm. my notes. <laughs> Well, you did better on air, at least. <laughs> I did. Uh, and he's played by Josh Hamilton, who has gone on to have quite the career. You would know him from The Walking Dead, 8th grade, Alive. Uh, remember, like, the uh, the Alive movie where they were uh, the, the the plane crash football team cannibals? Mm -hmm. uh, he was in that. Also in Dark Skies, 13 Reasons Why and 5 Broadway Plays. I, uh, I mean, 
sorry to make a joke about it, but isn't it funny how like all things in life that is just a shit pile of papers that you don't want, of something you don't want to deal with or you have to deal with, but you don't want to do it till later, it always finds its way into a manila envelope. Like there's all kinds of other ways you can store shit, but the manila envelope is really key for shit I don't want to deal with. It's perfectly timed for tax season here. Oh, yeah. I have the same thing, man. It just says taxes 2022. See, Mike, you can see it. In my folder here is a manila envelope. And what's inside? My first headshots. Truly things that I don't want to (laughs) see. And also, wait, what do I have? Got some pictures from college. I've got the uh, the original uh, contact sheets. Boy, there it is. That's uh, you're welcome. Zero people watching this on Patreon. Oh, my ex. Could you talk to this DA? Oh, it's the practice season eight. We don't get to see the DAs anymore. I had that same thought. Thank you. We used to. The show used to represent both sides. Now it's like we we couldn't name a single one that's a regular cast member. Or even a regular guest star. It looks like Eugene's going through uh, eight by tens. Jesus, no wonder it's in a Manila envelope. Why does he have those? So, let's talk Crime about your photos. sister. How old yeah, she? of his dead wife. She was thirteen when she got married. Now she is sixteen. Yeah. After she was married, um, did she and her new husband, uh... Yes. My father waved the sheets with blood on them. Her father That's did what? tradition. To show that the marriage was consummated. Waving the sheets. Consummated is a big is word for a 12-year-old to use. Many cultures. There's some words I look up. That's one of them. Why is your English so good? You have no accent. We lived with relatives in the United States. We hired an American actress. (laughs) United States for six years. My mother was a visiting professor at Amherst. And then we moved back two years ago. And we've been on vacation here for the last two weeks. Where does your mother stand in all this? With my father. You think I want to give him murder too? Look at my office. I'm it's obsessed with getting this Back guy. From season one. I'm just facing the possibility that I won't. Walk with me. Why wouldn't you get him? It's all circumstantial. No witnesses or forensics putting him in that house. Worst case scenario is he walks. I don't think Mr. Gilbert wants that to happen. But this guy got any priors? A ton. But if he doesn't testify, they don't come in, Eugene. Look, I am not saying that we're not going to get him. I'm just saying it's a risk. I've explained this to your client. He's just too emotional to hear it. And by the way, the defendant turned down the 15. What does that tell you? I notified the attorney general's office. They don't oppose. Well, I do. Your Honor, all I'm asking is that the girl be questioned in chambers instead of a big, intimidating theater. Come on. This is David Andrews. The courtroom is where we conduct all our legal business openly, notoriously in keeping with the Constitution and the intent of our Founding Fathers. I do all my business openly and notoriously, Counsel. All of it. How about sex, Your Honor? 
You brought before me a motion for political- American people deserve to know what I had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And yes, and corn for each. Asylum Openly counsel. and notorious. That is a very serious piece of legal business. It will be tried and adjudicated in the courtroom. Ladies and gentlemen, running for the United States Senate. It's not that she won't get him. She very well may. Yeah. On right. murder one? Oh, well, that could be tough. More likely murder two. I just wish, forget where your political leanings are, folks. I just wish you could live in Pennsylvania with me starting now. Because the ads that the uh, conservative, the conservative right-wing Republicans are running are just chef's kiss. They try They're to one-up each other. Ads. <clears throat> They're trying to one-up each other. So, like, Dr. Oz, it's all him and Trump being buddy-buddy. Every other Republican primary candidate, it's like, I like, there's literally one. I wish I could, I wish I have to, I don't want to play it on air for free advertising, but he's like, I believe in four things. Guns, uh, <laughs> guns, freedom. Uh, I remember, it's so ridiculous. The four things are so ridiculous. It, uh, it's, it's really, sh if it wasn't Trump so te terrifying, <laughs> it would be uh, really funny. Or 31 times he stabbed her. What could be more heinous freedom, than that? Freedom, Trump. With that many wounds. Trump, drugs. And Clearly, burgers. he kept stabbing her after she was dead. Now, that suggests a rage or mental state that goes more to murder, too. So he could get parole? This man deserves to get a bullet right between his eyes. Look, she's trying for murder one. She is a good DA. You mentioned he, going this after has him all the civilly. Of episode I'd like to do that. Mr. Gilbert, I'd like to do that. Murdering that man. He comes from money. I know he has a house. Mr. Gilbert. You've seen too many episodes. People sometimes get consumed by hatred. Don't let this man make you more of a victim than you already are. Well, good line. I think it would empower me to sue him civilly. Would you represent me? Let me Gilbert. monitor the criminal trial for a day or two and I'll let you know. Assuming you are going to sue this man civilly, let me give you some advice. It's illegal to use a criminal case for the purpose of advancing a civil one. Now, I know you're not doing that, but... Ms. Alexander tells me you've been to the U.S. Attorney's Office, pressuring them. In federal courts, they have the death penalty. That's what he deserves. Death. Well, if you hope to have a civil claim at all, you need to lay off the prosecutors. It's all good advice, and I, I, I like that uh, this character has a shit together. A Chinese girl was granted law. asylum He's three years ago. Forced marriage? That's the good news, but it's not precedent. And Ashcroft has since recalled for... And his passion is well-placed, right? It's not like he, he's in any way off as, like, being extreme. I, well, whilst, you know, you and I aren't particularly proponents of the death penalty, if you're gonna if you're going to support it, that seems to be... He's on the right side of someone who you would believe... is believably supporting it. Yes, but more importantly... She just said the magic word. Let the eagle soar. Welcome back to the show, John Ashcroft. Like she's never before. I believe this marks three appearances of John Ashcroft, which, which means he's appeared more than Bobby Donnell has been referenced. 
where they review all That's cases true. involving gender as a basis for asylum, including forced marriages. Great. Thanks, Jamie, for being a cast member. Jimmy, continuing to look well. As are you, Alan. I'm afraid it's against the law for you specifically to stand there. Fire code, no egress. Another fat comment, Al? All right, Jimmy, I must warn you, in addition to my knowing jujitsu, I'm also a direct descendant of Johnny Quest. See how the lips move? While very few words come out? Keep it up, sure. Keep it up. Hey! Not understanding this tit for tat. The next door neighbor had noticed a car. What, what, what was the, like, cast riff that we hated before? It was, it was Cameron and Rebecca? Cameron and Lindsay? Who was having, like, a tiff for no reason? Uh, it, it was uh, Cameron and Lindsay. But it was basically just all female members of the of the of the firm just hated each other for no reason because men are parked several nights on their street this detective the man sitting inside Julius Tenen from looking Batman at a laptop computer dazed and confused did she get a look at the driver no but she took down the plate number then called us after the murder the car was registered to Jake Spooner the defendant we secured a search warrant for Mr. Spooner's home in Cambridge and executed it and what did you find detective on the defendant's computer, we found hours of video footage of the Gilberts' nursery. Did you determine the source? Yes. The Gilberts had a camera in the room. They used it as a baby monitor. It was over their daughter's crib. Okay, but how did these images end up on the defendant's computer? He's the one who installed the camera as well as the other electronics in the victim's house. And he also set up a system to intercept their videos. And detective, can you tell us what these videos on the defendant's computer showed? On one file, it was mostly the baby sleeping. Sometimes Tracy Gilbert came in the room and played with her baby, and twice she breastfed her child. Mr. Gilbert was on it too, feeding her a bottle. But there was another file, where he had edited together scenes and digitally manipulated them, giving them some special effects that he added. Oh, I can't wait to watch this. Not babe, okay, a woman holding a doll. Oh, his security camera zooms in. Which security cameras can't do. And now, maybe the worst blood effects you've ever seen. Look, look, this was a home effects in 2003. He did it himself, man. That actually looks like, like Night Trap on the Sega CD. That's how It does. But while we're doing it, let's introduce... So basically... He made Ooh, a movie. Used a graphic disturbing. Of, uh, Photoshop. It's a legend. A horror legend. Did you recognize who it was, Mike? Wait, isn't this the dude <clears throat> whose wife is dead? Is that not where we're at? No, no. The guy, uh, we, we have only seen him. We have not heard from him yet. But uh, he's too big not to mention uh, the defendant is played by Bill Mosley as Jake Spooner, uh, who, I mean, just listen to some of these uh, legendary horror films. He was in Texas Chainsaw 2. He was in House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. He was in Repo, The Genetic Opera, Night of the Living Dead, and Carnivale. Bill, no Bill Mosley has, uh, he's a legend.
what case is this? This is the. You're right. The the guy the, the guy whose wife criminal got trial murdered, of the guy who the got criminal trial of the guy whose wife got murdered, and so so the uh, Bill Mosley oh the defendant legend, the defendant it, played by Bill Mosley is the guy who edited the footage from the nanny cam okay and because he installed it he edited it, he added the blood effect. okay so the he's the guy he's just like a technician who got it who was accused yes. of the murder because he okay. Mike right, right. finally understands. <clears throat> Not First like it's his quote-unquote movie. Hard Detective quote, Tracy Gilbert had been stabbed 30 times. Over 30. Over would it be 30 fair times. to say whoever killed her would likely Flores be soaked played by in Marguerite her blood? McIntyre. Yes. And yet you found none of Mrs. Gilbert's blood on any of my client's clothes, did you? No. What about his house? Not blood. But his prints were all over the victim's house. But he'd been in the house fixing some equipment a week before, right? That's correct. Thank you. No further Always questions, Detective. Always the AP guy, Keith. Miss mm-hmm. Alexander? Nothing, Your Honor. Dick Cheney as the judge? We'll recess and resume with Garrison our next witness back. after lunch. No, it's Edmund L. Schaaf back as the judge. Well, the underscoring isn't good, Keith. Eugene recognizes him. What if it was the dude who had, like, put Lucy's camera I don't camera even in? like him. Like who, Anna? The boy yeah. that I'm supposed to marry. I don't think he's nice. I don't think he's cute. I don't think he's anything. Now, Anna, in Romania, the legal age for marriage is 18, am I right? Yes, but we are Roma. That's our religious faith. Tradition is that they arrange child weddings all the time. Keith, I see a Broadway star. My sister got married at 13. And she had to have sex. I don't want to have sex. Good for you, girl. You say these arranged marriages happen a lot? Yes. Some of your friends get married in this way? Yes. Are they okay with it? Maybe they are, but I'm not. Are you afraid of this boy? No, I just don't want to marry him. Or anybody else. Now let's talk about your mom and dad. Do you love them? I do. But that doesn't mean that I have to follow all their ancient rules. Especially the ones that are barbaric. Barbaric? Did your lawyer tell you to use that word? Objection. I told her to use reprehensible, repugnant, and criminal. She came up with barbaric all on her own. He's so Continue. Good. So good. What do you think of America, Anna? I love it. Tell me. Excluding this marriage business, if you could choose which country you'd rather live in, what would it be? America. I see. Is it possible this might be more about your wanting to stay here than it is your fearing going back there? It's about me not wanting to get married. It's about me not wanting to have to be raped by some 15-year-old boy I don't even like. A client? Former client. I I represented him 10, 12 years ago. I mean, his name didn't ring a bell, but when I saw his face... When you represented him, what was he charged with? Murder. You got him up. 
Look, Mr. Gilbert, I was doing my job. It's not like I like the guy. Listen, obviously, I would have a conflict representing you against him. But, but, but let me do this. I'll monitor the trial a little bit more. I'll assess your case. That much I can't do. If she's this opposed, I won't make a go through with it. Well, according to Anna, her sister was opposed. She was crying and screaming when they brought her into the church. She had to go through with it. The ceremony was halted and continued only after she agreed. Under duress? Mr. Shore, my daughter is afraid she'll miss her friends here. That's what this is about. I'm sure there are many kids coming out of Disneyland seeking asylum, too, You are forcing your 12-year-old daughter to be married, sir. Please don't equate that There are that Mormon with... families who do that in this country. The Mormon church does not sanction But marriage. it happens. It goes on, and the police don't always enforce the law against it, do they, Mr. Shore? How about we strike a deal, then? You leave your daughter here, we'll raise her in Utah. Objection! Our marital success rate far surpasses the divorce numbers in this country. This goes to show you what a little servitude will get you, right, Mr. Bjork? Mr. Shore. Openly and aggressively. What was the what word? What happens now? Notoriously. Well, tomorrow morning, we hear from your mother. Tell me about her. She's very nice, smart, a professor. If you had trouble with my dad, you'll be no match for her. You don't think I'm any match for you, do you? How are we doing? Political asylum is tough, Anna. Though the whole world apparently hates us right now, we still seem to be the destination of choice. Do you think you could take me away from here? Just for an hour or two. It's so depressing here. I'll tell She's you what. very, very good. I'll try to persuade the judge to let me take you out yeah, for breakfast. Becca Gardner. May I ask, do you have children? I'm sure I must. <laughs> I know. That might be the line win. of the episode. Zing. Mm. When I was looking around the courtroom yesterday, deciding what lawyer to run up to, I saw your face. And I knew you would be the one to save me. That's sweet. No pressure. The victim was stabbed 31 times over her face, neck, torso, hands. The blows were of such a force, her head was almost separated from her body. Jesus. What can you tell us about the weapon? It was a knife with a six and a quarter inch blade, serrated William edges. Dennis Hurley. Do you know if the knife was ever located? It was not. However, be under the we found this table. knife set in the defendant's kitchen. The set is always sold with five knives of varying lengths. The defendant had only four knives. The one with the serrated six and a quarter inch blade was missing. Tests showed that the wounds to Mrs. Gilbert's body were consistent with the missing knife. And did the wounds tell you anything about the killer? From the angles of penetration, we determined that the killer was over six feet and left-handed. The knife you're referring to, would it surprise you to learn that 5,000 identical knives were sold in the last three years in the Boston sure area? No. And to confirm, you never found the murder weapon? No, we did not. Yes, it's circumstantial. But from where I sit, he's going away. 
Murder one? Well, that I don't know. I have here an article. It says where the federal government can also bring civil rights charges, and it doesn't amount to double jeopardy. Does the death penalty ever apply to these civil rights cases? Mr. Gilbert. I would never presume to know what you're going through, but uh, are you getting counseling? See, I, I took the liberty of looking at some of those videos, and there was one in particular. You were sitting in a chair, feeding your daughter, and what I saw was a father, a man full of love, somebody tender. What I see sitting across from me now is a man dominated by hate. Now, while your rage is certainly understandable, I would think that what your wife would want for your daughter is for you to try to be the man that I saw in that video. I, uh... I don't really know how to do anything else right now besides hate him. And to be honest, I hate you a little as well. For getting him off 10 years ago, for putting him. <sighs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> well, my testimony is first up. I suppose I should get some rest. See, this whole dynamic I like because everybody is making informed, reasonable observations and points. Mm -hmm. And it's not being sort of like dumbed down. Should I give you the big defense attorney speech? <laughs> I like that commentary on the show too, right there. I gave that speech to my <laughs> wife at the time. I gave it a line, you know, uh, we represent the guilty, thus ultimately protecting the innocent. This is one of the innocents I was protecting. Man, that woman must've got paid because we showed that picture a lot. I, it's, I bet it was a buyout. I, I doubt she's getting the uh, universal W-2. Yeah. After he had worked for us, he kept coming around. She lost him. Presumably to check the equipment he installed. Did this strike you as strange? Perhaps a little, but we weren't alarmed. Until Tracy started to notice him at the market, the gym, her art class. He was everywhere she went. We soon realized he was stalking her. Did you go to the police? We did. They said since these were all public places, there was nothing they could really do. And Mr. Gilbert, at some point you confronted the defendant, did you not? Yes. Two days before the murder, I asked him to refrain from following my wife. I told him he was scaring her and my family. I stated I was afraid for her safety. And how did he respond? He said if he wanted to harm her, he wouldn't just follow her around. My client had been in your house many times. Yes, doing electrical work. Even as recent as a week before the murder, he was in your house? Yes. So you didn't regard him as a threat? We were getting nervous, but 
we attributed it to our own paranoia. Then, about a week before, he entered the house without knocking, and it jolted my wife. That's when I went to the police. Two days after that, I confronted him. I assume you loved your wife very much. You assume correctly. Love anyone else as well? I beg your pardon? Were you uh -oh. having an affair at the time of your wife's death? Objection, relevance. Did you kill your wife, Mr. Gilbert? Objection, Miss Willow, you'd better have a What's good, good faith for the goose, basis Keith? for that question. Yeah. Sidebar, Your Honor. What's this about? Your Honor, last night I received an anonymous message. I submit a copy for your review. It may be completely bogus, but since it alleges that Mr. Gilbert was having an affair and that he is the killer of his wife, Tracy, bogus or not, it's enough to give me good faith for asking the question. I'll allow it. Your Honor, I really... But you're on a short leash. Now step back. You better plan B. Let's start with the affair, Mr. Gilbert. Were you in love with another woman at the time of your wife's murder? Oh. I'd like to exercise my Fifth Amendment right not to answer. Eugene with the hardest eye roll of all eye rolls. Well, okay, but hold on. It had nothing right. to do with this case. How, how, why would he exercise the Fifth Amendment? On what grounds? Because there's no crime. He's committed no crime having an affair. No, but my understanding, Keith, and better podcast, yada, yada, my understanding is that the Fifth Amendment uh, can also protect you against the appearance of self-incrimination. So if you see, he, and in fact, this goes to your being impressed by people being prepared, definitely seems like he knows his legal right that if they're going to try to plan B him and say that his affair is motive for murder, then potentially he is he is uh, Fifth Amendmenting himself against that use of the plan B, which you could, of course, say that the he's feeding into it by pleading the fifth. He is sort of admitting guilt, but. Well, he's certainly uh, he's he's drawing a, shade as... upon himself. Yes. Well, and also, like, uh, doing a little damage to the case that he's trying to get this guy convicted for. Yeah, I mean, whereas I guess you could, I mean, I guess you could say, okay, I'm of two minds. Here we are at this part of the episode. If you say, you could answer that question with, yes, I was having an affair, but in no way does that, you know, did that play into my relationship with, like, me wanting to, you could, you could deal with it head on. Or... You could plead the fifth, thus shutting down any further questions she might have in her plan B, right? Like if she had a whole line of 10 follow-ups about this affair. Well, if, if you had murdered her, yes. But if you hadn't, if your objective is to get Bill Mosley convicted, like that's like not working in his interest whatsoever if he didn't kill her. Because it, it, it's a jury trial. Because they're, you know, the jury is watching this, and they're trying to decide whether Mosley killed her or not. Yeah, I, I hear you, but that's it's a tactical. We could eat. Mike, don't plead the fifth, man. It's bad for you. Says you, buddy. Says you.
<laughs> I, I'm pleading the fifth on every question. What is your name? I, I'm going to go ahead and just assert my Fifth Amendment right to, to just shut uh, it all up. Uh, sir, sir, we, we have in, entered into evidence 3,000 hours of you talking on the internet without thinking about what you're saying. I mean, some would say that's a man who looks a lot like me. Mr. Gilbert, it may be irrelevant, but we She's married. She has a family. I can't, I can't, I can't do this to them. Uh... What the hell is going on? Am I free to say what you've told me? No. Let me tell you something. If you plead the fifth, you gift wrap reasonable doubt with a big red bow. Do you understand me? The fact of the matter is, Mr. Gilbert, you have no alibi for the night of the murder. Nobody can verify they saw you working late. The reason we dismissed you as a suspect is we had no motive. Now we do. Hold on a sec. I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm just making you aware. This is what the defense attorney will play like a trombone. Our only chance now is to explore this affair, rule you out as a suspect. I'm not talking about the affair. Well, then we're done, Mr. Gilbert. I'll certainly keep prosecuting. How long have you had that queued up? <laughs> I forgot that I had him. Like, I gotta use this. I was married when I was 12. My mother was married when she was 14. My grandmother was married when she was 13. All arranged marriages? Yes. All successful as well, I might add. But Mrs. Viorca, I mean, you do appreciate that the idea is a little offensive to Americans. I do. But Americans have trouble comprehending non-romantic unions. Well, marriage without love. Marriage is about family. Partnerships for parenting. In our faith, it's also about preserving ethnic identity. And by the way, arranged marriages still go on in the United States, however quietly, for this very reason. In the United States? Yes. And I don't mean simply in the Mormon faith. It happens with Orthodox Jews, the Greeks, Muslims, Hindus. There are thousands of such marriages every year in this country. You see nothing wrong with forcing Anna to be married or to be raped. If she doesn't consent to consummate in the marriage, Mr. Shore, then sex shouldn't happen. But Mrs. Viorca, come on, if her 15-year-old husband overpowers her in the name of religious consummation, he's not gonna be prosecuted, is he? First of all, how dare you presume Roma boys to be rapists? Because consummating the marriage is part of Roma tradition. Consummation is traditional in America as well. But if the bride says no, we don't assume rape. We assume capacity to give consent. We can't do that with a 12-year-old. You don't know our culture. I know this is an archaic practice that has no place in this child's life today. I know persecution, Mrs. Viorca. I know crime. In this and country, you take newborn babies and snip off the ends of their penises. I imagine some other cultures would object to that. The United States believes in executing human beings while every other westernized country finds that barbaric. Yes. I'm sure we could exchange cultural barbs ad nauseum. It wouldn't change the fact you're this girl's mother. And, and I love her deeply. And perhaps you would entertain a radical idea 
that a mother might know what's best for her daughter? And perhaps you could allow for the not-so-radical reality this girl is a child. Whose parents deserve the right to raise her according to their culture, even should it have the audacity to vary from the United States of America. Hey, Keith. Yes? This just in. Mm-hmm. This is what you and I purport to love most about this show, which is or the writers of the show, when it's at its best, it's taking a very what seems to be black and white issue, and then once it starts doing the hold it up, holding up an American mirror to itself and pointing out the kind of hypocrisies and the, the you know, that we can't always just take what we believe as the gospel of all cultures everywhere, it leads to really compelling television because everything she said, the argument they had there, the tit for tat on ideas is great. Um, now, we will have our own opinions as to what we think is right or wrong about this girl, but I think the nuanced conversation about the difference, the, the similarities and the differences in the cultures there and her right as a mother and all those kinds of things is really interesting when it comes to the, the 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 seeking of asylum here. I think it's great. I think it's one of the better written episodes this season, maybe. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's like you're... It, it, and I, I do have an opinion on this, and I have a strong and definitive opinion on this, but the her side there is smart and well-articulated. I, I think that there are holes in it, but mm-hmm. I do think that the... The writing of this episode has not dumbed down any of the characters. And every, you know, this feels a little West Wingy in that everybody in the room is very smart and mm-hmm. is articulating the points well, even if I think we and probably the show have a definitive opinion on it. So I agree. It reminds me, this is a weird anecdote I'm pulling out, but I'm going to. I've been watching, making my way through the four-hour Benjamin Franklin documentary uh, from Ken Burns, which uh, I think you can check out on PBS now. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere as well. And I'm a sucker for a long documentary. Uh, And one of the things I didn't know Franklin had done, which I think is really kind of interesting, is there was a a debate uh, on the floor. He was one of the first respected members of the Continental Congress to bring up slavery and basically say, hey... You know, we can't the, the the hypocrisy is is way too much to 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 avoid that we can't talk about the rights of all men and then but then carve out an exclusion. And one of the other members, I forget, who basically was like, the South will never go for it. We're gonna table it because, you know, uh blah blah blah. And he listed all these arguments. So Franklin goes back to his printing press and prints this satire, but doesn't label it as satire, and basically it's a treatise from someone uh, in uh, in the Caribbean basically saying why it's necessary for them to use white Anglo-Saxon European uh, slaves and just basically yeah. uses all this guy's arguments against him. And I, and I, I find that uh, it, what I'm saying here is that the writing, whereas it's clear David E. Kelly has his thoughts uh, about how this is rape and, and, different, and however you want to look at it, but he really focused on her arguments there and making them be, as you said, very well-spoken, smart, and and not from a place of, like, she's a terrible mother. She clearly just believes in her. Anyway. Right. Well, it, it's you get into uh, get into faith issues. Reminds me of Rebecca's issues. mother. We dealt it with does. 
Rebecca well, in the hospital. There, I think there are some very clear par- parallels to Christian science. If only Rebecca were here to help out and make a really mm. compelling television show. Told you she'd be tough. Yes, you did. Guys, if you've never heard of, uh, of uh, Ken Burns, he's a little-known documentarian. You want to check out his raised by your relatives. Mm. Benjamin Franklin. Maybe I'll marry you. That said, Benjamin Franklin himself had gotcha. slaves, so let's not uh, <sighs> make him out to be a... My relatives understand. They'll look after me. Won't you miss your parents? Of course I will. I'll probably cry forever. But it's not right that I should be forced to marry somebody I do not love or even like. That is not right. You know what? Let's take a second. Keith, can you go back? It was so early in the episode. What else? What did this girl go on to do, this actress? Uh, her name is Becca Gardner, and she didn't do a lot of acting, um, but she did. Let me let me pull up because she is now, I think she produces a documentary series. Uh, let's find out. She's Becca Gardner. Yeah. She's really, she's really quite good. Um yeah, she's a producer on a uh, TV series documentary called Your Date Project. She did a couple of other TV appearances and uh, that movie, Whatever Happened to Alice, uh, the same year as this, actually. And uh, yeah, she's done art department, production designer. I mean, obviously, had she cared to do more acting, I think she certainly could have because with her talent, unquestioned. Yeah, she definitely has a facility for it, so I'm glad she at least you know stayed in the business and used and pursued her passions, maybe. Yeah, did did some theater. Jury's out. Who knows for how long? With your friend taking the fifth. Who are we kidding? Do you think it's possible? He could have done it. I don't know. You know, we always go to the spouse first. Because he had no alibi. We interviewed every person in this guy's life. All of them said he was devoted to his wife and family. Hopelessly in love with her were the words most often used. I don't see him stabbing her 31 times. No. I don't think he could have done it. To answer your question. I'm not here representing Mr. and Mrs. Viorca. I'm here representing the United States, a country being condemned worldwide at the moment for imposing its views beyond its own borders. Do I favor arranged marriages? Absolutely not. When children are involved, I find it abhorrent, as I'm sure you do, Your Honor. But it is simply not our right to dictate our notion of morality to foreign countries. Anna Viorca is a wonderful little girl, but by her own testimony, she's not really afraid of getting married. She just doesn't want to do it. That simply fails to rise to the legal threshold of persecution that warrants asylum. This girl has a loving family, eager to safeguard her future according to their culture and their tradition. As much as we might reject that tradition, it is not 
our right to substitute our own. Your Honor, these are not particularly proud times for Americans. Around the world, we're increasingly perceived as imperialists. Where they get that, I haven't a clue. But I think we can all agree <laughs> the last thing we need to do right now is to continue to police more foreign cultures. The truth is, I agree with almost everything Mr. Bennett just said. But this is a child facing an enforced marriage she does not want facing enforced sex she does not want. This isn't tantamount to rape, it is rape. Rape. It may surprise you, but I happen to be a very proud American. And where I remain most proud of our nation is in the belief that its people remain strongly committed to human rights. At our noblest, the United States serves to protect the weak, the oppressed. A 12-year-old child is asking you today to spare her from an unimaginable atrocity. I fully understand we can't be policemen for the world, but how about for one innocent, vulnerable child? get the verdict on the other case you sure you want to be here they know he killed her they have to know it i smell a murder mr foreman <laughs> have you reached a verdict <laughs> we have your honor what's it that can't be mm. that, the defendant will please it rise can't be that blatant can it we've done this before what say you they're foreshadowing the shit out of it the matter of Commonwealth versus Jake Spooner, on the charge of murder in the first degree, we find the defendant Jake Spooner not guilty. Keep saying Spooner. Thank you. Spooner. This completes your service. Mr. Spooner, you are free to go. Is we are not? adjourned. Nobody's leaping to their seat, but now we're outside. You okay? Mr. Gilbert. Courthouse steps. Where's he gonna attack you? I can Eugene? still pursue him civilly, right? Well, that a fair business would come up in a civil trial, too. Mr. Gilbert, I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record here, but you really need to let it go now. I mean, you have a little girl. You, you have your entire life ahead of you. Uh, otherwise, here's the audio crap. Keep saying I got nothing to say other than uh, this was justice. I'm innocent. I didn't stab anybody. And I'm grateful that the jury saw it my way. And now I'm just going to try to get back on with my life. Oh, shots fired! Oh, that sniper. Right, right between the eyes. eyes. Betwixt the eyes. And the only one who didn't dive down, of course. Did he pay somebody? Witnesses reported a blue pickup fleeing the scene. There has been no description of any of the occupants. Did he order it? Gilbert? I don't know. Who else would have done it? I don't know. Where is he? Police got him for questioning. Is there a reason you're not with him? I'm done with the man. 
And here's our verdict in Alan's case. Also known as the case I care about. People from all over the world appear before me every day, begging, please let me stay in this country. Some facing unimaginable poverty, oppression, or cultural hatred. We typically uniformly say mm -hmm. no. Here we have a young girl who quite justifiably doesn't really want to have her hand forced excited. in marriage at the age of 12. Mr. and Mrs. Viorca, I find this Roma tradition to be repugnant, even sick. But I realize that could be my own cultural bias talking. And I am mindful that the legal test for persecution is not how I feel or even what Anna feels, but what the reasonable person in Anna's predicament, in Anna's country, would feel. The testimony and evidence seem to clearly establish that these forced marriages typically happen in the Roma faith, that it's a cultural norm, and that the reasonable Roma 12-year-old girl does not feel persecuted by them. Looking at this through their lens, which I am required by law to do, I cannot find the level of persecution that would authorize me to grant asylum. Mr. and Mrs. Viorca, I would love nothing more than to impose my American culture and my American values upon you, but I can't. All I can do is hope, even pray, that you abide by your daughter's wishes. The plaintiff's petition is denied. The minor should be immediately released to her parents. Can we appeal? <laughs> no. What do you mean? There's always appeals. Not on this. That's not right. Why can't... Anna? You need to come with us now. I can't. I won't. Anna. You need to come with us. Really good. She's really good. Good scene. It's heartbreaking. Thank you very much. Goodbye, Mr. Shore. Goodbye.
What do I do with this wrongful death research? Put it in the file. We may send off an opinion letter if he ever asks. And make sure we bill him. Well, well, well. What have we here? Grieving husband? Murderer? Devil? All of the above? The police just questioned me for five hours and released me. Yes, well, I'm sure there was no evidence. I'm sure the job was immaculate. You stood beside me, Mr. Young. You, of all people, know I didn't kill Mr. Spooner. I don't know you didn't order the hit. But I'll tell you this, standing beside you, I had the opportunity to see your face when your wife's killer went down. You didn't look surprised, Mr. Gilbert. One could almost conclude you expected him to get shot. Is that what you think? Yeah. Here's what I know. You were desperate for the death penalty. You said to me he deserves a bullet right between the eyes. Those were your exact words, Mr. Gilbert. Quite a coincidence, don't you think? I mean, considering where he got shot. You never had any affair. You sent that anonymous note to the defense counsel. You set yourself up with the question, then you pled the fifth, knowing full well your wife's killer would be set free. Then you had him executed. Because that's what he deserved. Mr. Young, I'm sure Mr. Spooner had many enemies who wanted him dead. After all, we know he killed before, right? He was only free on a technicality. Because you were able to suppress most of the evidence. That's why you chose me. You knew all the time I'd gotten him off. I wish you well, Mr. Young. Fucking stupid. Sorry. <laughs> That's my opinion. Well, oh yeah, we'll talk about it in the upseats. But like, I have a, I have a, I have a big question that I hope maybe you'll be able to answer about that whole thing. All right, folks. Well, that is the practice season eight, episode nine, victim rights. Uh, let us go and do what we do at the end of every episode and uh you know do a little after show show episode and uh you know do a little after show show which begins every week with mm, two three four mike has 30 seconds to remember what just happened on the show segment Segment. This dude comes in and he's like, yo, Eugene, help me out. My wife is dead and this guy, should I sue him? Should I this? Should I that? And then and guess what? It all turns out that it was like some elaborate plan to like make Eugene feel bad and the guy be dead. Plus this Roma girl is like, I don't want to get married at 12 and be raped and I want to stay in this country. And this country basically was like, hey, guess what? Uh, we can do a lot of things, but like help somebody out. We're not going to do it. It doesn't rise to our level of persecution. So you got to go get uh, married. Bye. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's about right. Uh, can you do it again in fewer syllables? Sure. Uh, in a segment, Keith, I've always liked to just call.
Um, sure helps Aroma seek asylum from marriage. Eugene uh, got back to work. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. It's a callback, folks. And uh, you want to know what else we might call back? Our favorite fake award show. Ladies and gentlemen, the Out of Practice podcast in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions proudly present Oopsie! The Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and Mike. Beep, beep, bop. What the hell are the oopsies? Well, Jackie, they are a fake awards show that we begin every week with... A great episode for this because here's one of those rare occasions in practice history where we we lose every we lose. Uh, yeah, Eugene he wasn't really like actively involved, so it wasn't for him to lose. But like I guess he, I guess we could. I think we can agree he lost here. Uh, he got played. I don't even know if he wasn't really. He didn't really have any facility in much of it. But regardless, and Alan Shore who. Well, I mean, I guess we could say that at least his argument is entered into the record because I thought he gave an incredible close slash editorial um, op-ed <laughs> uh, that I agree with. And and he basically states what our principles should be uh, and the kind of people and things we should be protecting and the, and... It's interesting, but at the same time, uh, he was denied. Um... Well, I'm I'm going to make the argument for Alan here, uh, not on his arguments and not on his win loss, but the value that he provided here was even in a losing effort, even when he couldn't do anything, he was able to show the girl that somebody gives a shit yeah. and somebody hears and validates where she's coming from. And I think that that has a great deal of value regardless of whether or not uh, they win and lose. Yeah. And also I think that it, you know, for the character, I think that taking this case. <laughs> valuable uh, for his character, for sure. Yeah. Taking this case, I think it, it, it potentially shows an arc for him. Right, where it's it's always unclear kind of whether he's a vigilante, he's like a Batman of justice, or if he really believes in the law, or like where he where his like center is. And here, even in a losing effort, maybe especially in a losing effort, you kind of see him articulate and because Spader's so goddamn good, sort of discover that what where his ideals are and what he thinks he should be fighting for. So hopefully they although. Uh -oh. Although that cuts both ways, okay. right? Because he has cheated, defrauded, broken the law, and basically compromised all sorts of stuff for much lower stakes mm -hmm. that that 
in a situation like this, if anyone is ever going to, you know, break the law, cheat, you know, get her, disappear her to relatives, somebody uh, somewhere else breaking the law, this would be the one. It was interesting because they opened the door crime. for it too, didn't they? They opened the door when she was like, I really wish I could like get out of this place. It's depressing. He's like, well, we yeah. can arrange to go to breakfast. I thought for sure they were opening the, that was like a red herring they did. Well, and, and, and if Alan's going to, recklessly break the law for their client why not this time and why all those other times for like money well well because he couldn't let me be right you know what i mean he couldn't he couldn't mike was right me uh yeah. yeah those are questions we can't really answer buddy but i i i buy your argument and and but i mean you could also you could argue that the broadway legend what's his name david garrison <laughs> david garrison he he, but what but what he didn't like provide any public service to anybody. It's not like he kept a, a person who shouldn't be an American out of America for asylum. I don't I don't know that we can say he did a great value to the country. So yeah, I, I like giving it to Alan Shore. Yeah. All right, congratulations, Alan Shore. Coming up next, this one will be pretty easy. Already famous because you've been on TV, getting the paycheck. Pay First entry on your IMDb. Way, Way to go! go the best. Guest actor, you are the best guest actor, you are the best guest actor on the episode. Seldom do we stop the episode to just talk about it, but this, uh, here's an actress who has proved, shows uh, on the screen that she has an immense amount of talent, an immense amount of natural uh, empathy to, to just kind of exude on screen chose to pursue a career behind the camera in other ways. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I'm so thankful that we got at least this opportunity to uh, for her to share her talents with us. And I believe her performance specifically elevated the episode. I yeah. think that was would a, had a less talented child actor been, uh, I wanna say talented, had a less capable child actor been in this role, I don't think it would have had the impact that it had, uh, specifically the chemistry with, with, uh, with Spader. Spader. So, yeah, I think it's this is a pretty obvious one, Keith. I'm sure you concur. Uh, yeah, no. Becca Gardner wiped the floor with this episode. Uh, she was absolutely terrific from start to finish, and uh, had another gear at the end, which was incredibly heartbreaking. Uh, even the second time, or probably yeah. third or fourth time seeing it. Uh, yeah. Congratulations, Becca Gardner. Uh, you good at what you do. If you care to, uh, you should do it more. All right. Next up, it is time for... You killed your podiatrist or blew the case. But you Didn't. Single tear run yeah, like quite face. literally. You're the best actor on the show. Keith and I say it all the time. Uh, maybe not all the time, but multiple times. Uh, it's sometimes more effective than just balling on screen, but to let it get to the lip, but never let it roll. And both uh, Ms. Gardner and uh, Spader do that just with just excellence throughout uh, at the in the penultimate scene of the episode. Or is that the last scene? No, the penultimate uh, scene of the episode. It's, it's penultimate, although I'm going to argue it should have been the ultimate. Yes, I agree. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's it's Spader. 
He was excellent throughout the entire episode. And once again, it shows that uh, what we've said all along, it, the, all of the machinations and quirks of his character that they kind of keep trying to pile on and the this and the that, you don't even need. You could play him just straight. And right. he's that good. The character works. So uh, he's just excellent. He, uh, you know, I think I, think I am often the word I want, pejorative with Spader when I mentioned that he kind of just does Spader. He spaders. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, that really, I think, kneecaps a lot of the nuance that he brings to any performance. He is, I find him extraordinary. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't ever want to make it like, I, I don't, I don't want to minimize how good he is. And he, it's on full display here. No, I, I, no, I, I agree. I think that there's no, Spader is such a bold flavor. Mm -hmm. Regardless, you don't need to add any extra spice. You don't need to like overwrite him, mm -hmm. right? Because and he's been overwritten sometimes. Um, but he wasn't in this episode, and I think that was uh, excellent. You know, and, and as I'm looking at our early, uh, yeah, he's season, oopsies. Well, it's it's basically it's a two person race. It's Steve and and Spader. Uh, well, and that well, we'll get into it. I mean, I, what are they doing to Jimmy? They've decided he's the new Lindsay. They're just like, I don't know what they're doing, but well, I'd like, hey, uh, Cameron Manheim's on the show. I don't know. Oh if my you, god, I don't know you're you know. right. Uh, hello. Uh, she just uh, walks hello? in in side eyes, like when he calls Jimmy fat. Cameron walks in and she's like, "Wow, stop yeah. it, you two. Uh, although I do think now, looking at our our ratings here, we might have a late breaking uh, contender in Danny Tater. Who, uh, <laughs> Dark Horse, Dark Horse, Danny Tater. All right, uh, let's just do it, Jesus. The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Um, I got it. Please, mm. deport, please deport Tom Brady. Please deport Tom Brady wins the Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Love it. Uh, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. Oh, we are so close. This could have been a one, a one case episode. We talk about them. We've had them. They're always great. It's all he needed. What a well-written, nuanced, excellently acted episode of television in the a in the uh, in the what is i'm gonna call the a case in the in the roma case um i love when david e. kelly in the writer's room has an opinion but doesn't over editorialize i mean they do uh but but also present the other side very effectively i thought and probably not as nuanced as our sort of americanized uh viewpoint but I thought, well, well enough for me to go, I see it, and well enough to to justify the decision made by the judge here. You could have easily seen the resolution gone the other way, I think, but this is one of those episodes where in quote-unquote losing, I think it adds, the, it adds to the story because it adds that extra emotional beat that has something to say. It's not just an emotional beat, oh, it's sad for this girl, but it's like, you know, it's also probably what would have happened, which yes. saves it from being cheap. 
it changes it from being cheap and it and it it makes you realize that you know uh for all of the self-congratulatory you know i think spader says it best here really where he's where alan shore says his best where he says you know but i i see it as the flip he says you know for as derided as we are we seem to see still be the 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 destination of choice and i kind of see it as the flip in this episode right where it's yeah we we're so great people want to come here because our 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 justice system our system of some freedoms and rights and and such are so great and yet it's still so broken our system is broken uh you know, and that's kind of highlighted in the other case too, where Eugene, in doing his best, let this guy out to go on and and basically ends up being at the center, the fulcrum of like sort of two murders, right? And so, but we'll get there. Anyway, I just think this case is so well articulated, and what it was, I thought was really, really great about it too, and it shows a restraint that we don't always get in the episodes, is that they don't, they don't, in no way are seem to be being derogatory towards the Roma culture. They point out some some things. Yeah, it was done it was done in a pretty respectful manner, frankly. Yeah, and in that popular culture does not generally do. Like there's a whole show devoted to I believe it's called My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding uh all about the Roma culture and they're presented in much more of a negative a light there than 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 here. Even with the words rape and and all this being thrown out, they're still allowing for, it by showing juxtaposition to American, uh, let's call it hypocrisies. Uh, so I, I just found it to be really compelling and really empathetic, and her parents weren't presented as evil in any sort of way, and even at the end, it just really was powerful. And it was nice to see Alan for you know he it runs the they've run the risk of presenting him almost as like void of consequence because he kind of just does what he wants and he's so rich so there is he gets away with everything and it's like there's no but here there was an emotional consequence and and they had a great long take after she has to leave and he's just sitting there kind of left with his thoughts and with the experience and there is an emotional toll an emotional consequence and like for the first time, you're like, oh, he's like, I, I can lose. And there was nothing I could do about it. Like he, there was no, I, I'm choosing to view it, Keith, as there was no trick for him to pull here. It wasn't yeah. for lack of want or lack of trying. He just, there was nothing to really, he could do. Um, yeah. And so it just was such a compelling, powerful case, which makes it all the more sad that the first case was everything that this, or the other case, was everything this wasn't from the beginning? I think even as a joke, I call I knew exactly how this was going to play out. One hundred percent. The only flip you called it. The only flip is that it was even more premeditated that this guy chose Eugene somehow mac made the machinations to throw the case so that he did love his wife so much that he faked a a affair to throw the case so that he could have the guy murdered, which leads me to think, which I guess is what, what I'm hearing, what I'm taking, Keith, is that even more than his desire to see this guy die, right, because he killed his wife, who he really loved, or he's so devoted, madly in love with, 
even more than that. He needed vengeance on Eugene for letting the guy out previously, which just seems such a so extra. If he wanted to just kill the guy, he, he would have been sent away anyway. But since he wasn't going to get the death penalty, so just have him killed. Like, why do you have to? It just seemed so extra. Not to mention, juxtaposed to such a well-nuanced, written, performed A case, it seemed even more salacious and ridiculous. Not that it couldn't happen, it just seemed unnecessary. And Eugene, on top of that, it didn't even seem to, I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't like that. So, <laughs> when you compile those two things, it wasn't so ridiculous that it ruined the first part of the episode for me. It just makes me kind of sad because I loved the one case so much. And I wanted to be like, Keith, it's getting a 9.5 because it was that great. You have to ding it for the kind of like predictable, stupid other case. But still, do you have the sheet in front of you? I do. What is the highest ranking I've given this season? This season was last episode 8.63. Then I got to go higher. I'm going to go 8.81. Yeah, there I go. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna like repeat all the things that you just said, um, because I, I agree with almost all of that. Um, I have, I have one comment about the, the Roma case, um, which I think is sort of obvious, and I think I've said stuff like this before. I mean, it's a. There, there are two things happening. One is the practical debate right in terms of how interventionist should we be you know it's the star trek prime directive question how you know what is what should we be doing to intervene in other cultures um and you know what are what are our responsibilities but also like in the big picture what is the ethical thing to do do we intervene do we not intervene uh which i think that that was pretty well articulated um and and that's a complex question it's not it's not an easy uh thing to say on the other hand i'll say the same thing that i said about the, the sort of christian science issue about you know medically treating your children and uh kind of anything else and for me this is a black and white issue in terms of the uh the morality of it and that is Basically, uh, harm to someone unable to make their own decisions, i.e. give informed consent, is always wrong. Regardless of religion or tradition or culture, if somebody wants to harm themselves who is able to make the consenting decision, if, if, if my religion is I want to hack off my limbs and, and you're an adult and you are making that informed decision, then go to town. That is not my business to tell you what to do. But anytime you're dealing with a child, harm to a child is never justified, regardless of your religion or faith or tradition. And I think it's fairly obvious that, you know, at 12 years old, you're not able to consent. That's harm. That's just flat out harm. And I think that's fairly black and white. Um, duh. Uh, as far as the other case, I don't think I hated it as much as you did. Um, mainly because we haven't had a ridiculous twisty twist in a while, even though this one was a little obvious. Um, I liked what I said earlier that, that this guy, 
he was clearly smart. He clearly did his research. He clearly, he knew the law. He knew what he was doing. So it wasn't, uh, I don't know. It, it, it didn't feel dumbed down except, and Mike, this is maybe where you can help me. Right. He comes back to Eugene. He brings in Eugene. They got like, ah, oh, that's why you chose me to whatever. My question is, what did Eugene do? What was the function of Eugene in this? He didn't do anything. Eugene didn't have a function in this. He didn't, not legally, not practically, none of the things that this guy did, which ended in this murder, throwing the trial and the plea, none of that had anything to do with Eugene. I agree with you. But my... If I'm if I'm following along with this guy's thought process, right? I think what he was trying to do, what I imagine, because remember in his universe, Eugene is a blood this bloodthirsty defense or this blood sucking defense authority uh, defense attorney out for a buck. So I think he if he wants to engage Eugene, knowing that because of the conflict of interest, because Eugene has right case, his thought is well if I I'm going to entice him with money. I'm going to make him think, oh, here's a payday because this guy clearly didn't murder his so, wife. So, so it was about getting him revenge invested. on Eugene. Yes. Yeah. Through this process. And he knew that I, he eventually it would play out that, that he would find, they would discover that Eugene had been involved with this guy. So he couldn't, he would never be his lawyer. But if he couldn't say that you're on the hook for a civil case, should it come to that, Eugene would be invested because he's going to get a payday. And so he would be watching the trial. And then when this guy gets murdered, he can be like, ha ha, yeah, it's you it's, all along. That feels like the the biggest stretch yes. of all of it, and and I I feel like there's like a million different ways that he could have gotten revenge on Eugene, that was much easier than all of that. Uh, because well, but it, but but the but what strains a little credulity there is if this guy is as smart as clearly he is, and as they're portraying him, then clearly you recognize that. You would think all his rage is toward the guy who murdered his wife and not the system at large of because defense attorney's defense attorney. It seems that's well, what they do. I mean, yes. And of course, that's the, the endless debate here. But it's like Eugene treated it like, I I can't believe you tricked me into playing this role in this farce. He didn't play a role. Yeah. He, he literally, like, essentially, all he did was like, hey, Eugene, look at this. Mm-hmm. Right, but everyone's treating it like Eugene was a cog in this wheel, that Eugene was the thing that enabled this to happen. He wasn't. He just happened to be there. And I think that was sort of the the part that felt a little... Uh, you know, it, it's like they worked backwards yes, from the exactly twist. Yes, it's exactly correct. And, exactly and correct. forgot and realized or maybe didn't realize that like actually Eugene's not a part of any of this. Yeah, it's almost like uh, they were like instead you know what there people are going to maybe see the twisty twist coming so we got to make it a puzzle box. Like it's a twist we, of a twist. But it does it just doesn't the it's basically just like Eugene witnesses this thing happening as opposed to Eugene does anything in this. Uh so anyway, it's from a storytelling perspective Eugene didn't yeah. have any agency in this. Yes. Um, so but he, he does have much Scooby of a role or end. responsibility. We figured it out, but I think I briefly said before this episode would have been much better had they just ended it with the final scene mm -hmm. with uh, with the girl and and Spader. 
this extra twist, we didn't need it. I think it made it more obvious how irrelevant Eugene was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would have been way better had they just faded to black on Spader's face. That said, uh, I do think it's a strong episode um, for all the reasons you said, and I'm going to give it an 8.45. So uh, there you have it. That's 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 what you get. So, uh, folks, you have listened to yet another episode of the Out of Practice podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us uh, online on your social medias at Out of Practice Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can also leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other service of your choice. We will happily welcome you to the jury and read your comments. People who we are also super grateful to are the founding sponsors of the show, including Cloud Lover 69, Cloud Lover 69, Jorge Novoa, plus all of our uh, returning favorites, Leanne Wrights, Jennifer Masanova, Kari Kuhn. And uh, we'd also like to thank our brand new patrons here on the KMM Entertainment family, including Alan Zimmerman and Brian Kaufman. Thank you so much for supporting. Yes, the patrons. We love them all, regardless of the ways that they found us. But you can join that by going to patreon.com slash KMM. That end is spelled out. Lots of perks and bonuses for you there. If you can't contribute, don't worry. Just keep watching. Click like, click subscribe. Check out our other shows. And until then, consent or no, Keith. Laser sounds. Unconsensual laser sounds. You, I'm just uh, saying I, you don't have you don't you don't have an option here. This part of I, our culture, we laser sounds here.